You are listening to the weekly podcast of Renovate Life Church of God in MacArthur, Ohio. We pray you enjoy today's message. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, 18 and 19. Dusty may have to put a little bit more on this. As you can tell, I'm having trouble with my voice this morning. The eyes of understanding, of your understanding being enlightened. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That ye may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. If you'll bow your heads, I want to pray. Lord, I pray that you touch us this morning. Give us the strength, Father. Lord, give us the understanding and more importantly, give us the anointing. Let there be an anointing in this place, Father, that causes the sinner to change their heart. Lord, we love you. We lift you up. We magnify you. God, we praise you. Lord, above you, there is no other. And I pray right now, Father, that people's eyes are opened. Lord, we'll never fail to give you the praise, glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. We're talking about worship. And we're called to do four things. If you study the word of God, we're called to walk with God. The Bible says, Amos said, how can you walk except you agree? And how can you agree with God if you don't communicate with him? And how can you (coughs) agree with God if you don't take him at his word and see his perspective? See, his perspective is different than your perspective. His understanding is different than your understanding. His ways are higher than our ways, the Bible tells us. Now, when he's given you that perspective and it's in his word and you choose not to follow that, how can you agree? So we're called to walk with God and we're called to work for God. One writer tells us to walk worthy of your vocation. We're called to work for God. How do you work for God? You make him known to this whole earth. You make him known to the people around you. Amen. You never be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ as long as you study yourself. As long as you study the church person next to you, as long as you're worried about them and not worried about God, you're going to worry about those things and worry about yourself and it's going to be self-centered. And so we're called three to war against evil. We war against evil, church. We force and demand and enforce, can I say it that way, that Calvary is known on this earth. The victory of Calvary is known on this earth. Now everybody knows about Jesus, but do they know about the victory in Jesus? Everybody knows about Jesus, but do they know the blood of Jesus? There's a difference. And so, as we lift him up, he is draw. He is, all men are drawn unto him. And so, because the enemy will not quit... Jesus has to be the light. Why? Because the enemy's constantly coming after you. He's constantly saying things. Do you know the Bible says Satan wars in the mind? Have I ever said that here before? 
And because he wars in the mind, he's constantly coming after you. He's constantly working on you. But I want you to understand, even though you're warring against evil and you're warring against the devil, you have victory in Jesus Christ. We're called to worship God and God alone. The Bible says you give God the preeminence. Worship is divine. It's a decree. It's a proclamation of who God is. What it's saying, when you worship, it's not just a mention of God. It's something that flows out of you and causes change in your heart. It causes change in your mind. Let me tell you something else. It causes change in your circumstance. There's some people sitting in here today that needs change in their circumstance. Amen? And so because we're called to worship, we worship God alone. Worship is the key to everything. And if we don't become better worshipers, you can forget warring. You can forget working for God and you can forget walking for God. Worship is the key to everything. Now, a lot of times we either have monetary praise or internal worship. And I'm going to talk to you about it. I hate that this is a lecture today, but this is probably how it's going to be. Remember the story of the idol Dagon. Every time Dagon was cast down, there was someone to pick him up. Someone there. Listen, that, that's the same in our lives. Every time that we cast the devil down, there's someone there to pick him up. Boy, I'm going to tell you that again. Because a lot of you went zing right over the top of the crowd. I said that every time that the devil's cast down in our life, there's someone there to pick him up. Every time you walk out of the church and everything's hunky-dory and you're excited and you prayed and you cast some things off in your life, there's a devil sitting at the door when you get home. And there's someone there to pick him up. No matter how many times you whip him. No matter how many times you cast him down, no matter how many times that you push with the force of God against him, there's someone going to be there to pick him back up and put him back on his pedestal. But you know what you do? You keep on worshiping. You keep on praising. You keep on lifting him up. You keep on magnifying him. I got about 10 of you today. Praise his holy name. So praise can be monetary. Because praise has to do with things that are monetary. Did you hear that? I praise him for the house he gave me. I praise him for my job. I praise him because he meets the bills that I have. I, I, I praise him because he touched me. I praise him because he picked me up. I praise him because he helped my family. I praise him because when I prayed, he came through. I praise him because of who he is. And there are things that we have to understand that matter in time. But worship transcends time. Worship transcends space. And worship transcends matter. Isn't that what God is? He worship or he transcends time, space and matter. So when you worship, you get to transcend time, space and matter. Because he never changes. Worship lifts you to the level that deals only with God. And the Bible says that God goes on record and says, I do not change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, pastors may change. You may like me today and hate me tomorrow, but God never changes. Amen? When you worship God, you can rest assured. He never goes out of style. He's never out of date. 
It deals with our internal issues rather than our monetary issues. You know, people today say, well, the church just wants money. I don't want your money. This church don't want your money. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, my God owns a cattle on a thousand hills and the gold and the silver in them. So anything God wants us to do, he's going to take care of. Any ministry that God wants us to have, he's going to take care of. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't need your money and neither does God. So we can put that aside right now and we can praise him for who he is. We can worship him because he's the God of heaven that's going to change your circumstance. He's going to take care of your trouble. You know, I need a God that can take care of my trouble. Not a God that I've created, but a God with power and authority and might and dominion. But we try to put everything in an overview. Summarize it. Watch this. That church hurt me. That's a summary of what that church did. That doesn't mean this church is going to hurt you. I don't know why I threw that out there, but I thought you needed it. And when you begin to see things from God's perspective, as long as you're on the level of praise, you're on a monetary plateau. I give and I get to praise. I give and you bless me. You'll keep looking for the answer to bail you out. Do you hear me? When you're on a praise platform, you keep looking for the answer to bail you out. You keep looking for the emotion of praise to bail you out. I'm telling you, church, that's good. I don't care who you are. As Larry the Cable Guy said it, I don't care who you are. That's good. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my buckler. The Lord is my shield. The Lord is my strength. He's my power. He's my exceeding great joy. He's my exceeding great reward. Come on, somebody. He's my righteousness. He's my wisdom. He's my power. He's my resurrection. He's my knowledge. He's my strength. He's my victory. You know, when you understand who God is, it really doesn't matter if he bails you out or not. Because if I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. Well, pastor, that's crazy talk. Well, if you're a worshiper, you want to be with the Lord. I don't want to deal with bills. Or, or bills back there. Bill didn't do anything. I just happened to see him back there. Worship has to do with perspective. It has to do with understanding the concept of who God is. But power flows from what we worship. I'm going to say it again. Power flows from what we worship. Luke 4, 3 says, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Always remember that every time heaven goes on record and tells you what you are, hell is going to refute what God said you are. No, there's some people sitting in here today that need to hear that. Jesus just experienced the Jordan River. Now listen to me. When God spoke to him and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And right after that, right after recognition and right after announcement and right after God putting this responsibility that he's Jesus and he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. The devil comes to him and he begins to talk to him in Luke chapter 4 and says, make these stones bread. Do you really think you are who you say you are? You don't really believe that, do you? 
See, you're always going to be challenged when God compliments you. Boy, I'm telling you. You're going to be challenged on the very thing that God said about you. He, you're going to be challenged on the very thing that God puts in your understanding and puts in your wisdom. God calls everything into accountability. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes what you see does not agree with what God told you. Have you ever heard me say that? Sometimes what you see does not agree. And so listen, the Bible says that God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to call you father. But he had no children. Listen, if you believe what the devil said, you're going to never birth anything. But the moment that you get a hold of God, God's going to change some things in your life. Well, pastor, what do I got to do? Where do I got to go? You don't got to go anywhere and you don't have to do anything. All you got to do is lift your hands and worship. He said, you're the head, and you say, but I feel like the tail. He says, you're above, and you say, well, I feel like I'm beneath. He says, you're the wisdom of God, and you say, well, I feel like I'm kind of stupid. You're the power of God. You're the holiness of God on this earth, church. But, well, but I'm weak. I, I can hardly stand up. I, I don't think I can make it through the rain. It'll knock me over. Hmm? Some people say, oh, I was shaking like a feather. You need the power of God in your life. Amen. God speaks from eternal perspective. He's above this parade that we're in. What parade, Pastor? This human parade? Where we try to make people think that we're something we're not? Oh, that's good. I know all you're sleeping, but I'm having a great time up here. Now watch, God always speaks from the end to the beginning. He doesn't speak from where he's at to, to the future. He speaks from the end to the beginning. Why? Because the Bible says, I see things from the end to the beginning. He's declaring things that you're not yet. He's declaring things that he knows about you that you haven't stepped into the realm of understanding yet. You understand why people want to be Christian? You understand why people want to give God their life? Because he's proclaiming things over you that you don't understand about you yet. Abraham, I'm going to make you a father. Well, I'm not, I don't have any kids. <laughs> Some of this, it'll hit you when you get home. There's things not yet manifest. They're existing in the spiritual realm. They're existing in the mind of God, the heart of God, the purpose of God for you. If you'll worship. They already exist in him. Abraham was not a father when God proclaimed you're going to be a father. But God changed his name. And then he told him what he would be. See, it takes time for God's promise to manifest. And you're going to have ups and downs. Let me, let me talk about Christian life. This is something that you really can't tell people until they've been there. But I believe there's some people sitting in this congregation that has been there. When you first get saved, man, it's six flags over Jesus. You love everybody because you never loved anybody like that before. You love everybody and you're excited about everybody. You love your pastor. You ain't got nothing to say about him. Woo, that'll preach. He's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But then time comes along. And you get to know, oh, old chubby fellows like me. 
And you realize that they don't rest right at the foot of the cross, that I'm just like you are. And then things happen, right? And you get numb. And then you say, well, the church hurt me. The church didn't hurt you. The people really didn't hurt you. You went through a valley. A lot of times people quit when they're in the valley. Boy, I'm going to talk to some people today. And when you quit when you're in the valley, the only thing you can say when the pastor comes is the church hurt me. Hmm? But see, here's the thing. I can't tell people. I'm, I'm going to try to express it to you, but I don't know that I can. When you get to the house of God and you realize that you're going to go through these ups where you're six flags over Jesus and it's wonderful and it's mighty and it's powerful. You're going to have some downs. Oh, now watch. The devil tries to make your valley deeper than your mountain. Ha, put that on Facebook. I said the devil tries to make your valley deeper than your mountain. And in the valley is where you're broken. And in the valley is where you're messed up. And in the valley is where you're trying to find God. In the valley, you're trying to say, God, do you exist? In the valley, you say, God, do you love me? In the valley, you say, I'm broken. In the valley, you say, I have no help. In the valley, it seems like you're in a cave and you don't know what to do. Here's what I'm going to tell you. There has to be another mountain. No matter how deep the valley there has to be another so you keep walking and you keep praising and you keep worshiping and you keep believing because I'm telling you you're going to get to your next mountain well that's good and that's deep but you can't tell people you know why because they have to experience it and I believe there's people in this room a lot of you still new converts that are in the valley Oh, just, just wait. Wait till you get to your next mountain. Because when your valley's the deepest, that next mountain is the greatest. <laughs> because here's what you don't understand. Is if you just try to walk. You don't have, you just got to try. If you try to walk, God will take care of you. If you try to walk, God will pick you up. If you try to walk, he'll take you up the mountain. Listen, my God, don't drag you. You're not even going to know he's there. Because he finesses you. And he holds you. And he holds you close to him. And he takes care of you. Listen, people don't understand until they've been there but I'm talking to you today Abraham wasn't a father but God changed his name and God gave him promise your mind your will your seed of personality your, your concept has to be retrained when you become a Christian not a believer because there's a lot of believers sitting in the room that are not Christian. Now watch Luke 4 and 4. And Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Now here's the, here's the thing in John 1 and 1. The Bible says that Jesus was made flesh and the word was God and the word was with God. Hmm? Who was the word? Jesus. Now listen, and Jesus answered him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus is the word. The original text says it this way, by every word that proceeds from God is continuing his communication. Hmm. We need to hear his communication. It needs to continue in our life. Now I know y'all love the King James Version, but we need to go back because sometimes... 
We've lost some stuff. Listen, God is constantly in communication. He's trying to speak with you on every level that you can possibly think of. It's up to the church people. It's up to the Christian. It's not up to the religious. It's up to the church people. It's up to the Christian to hear the word of the Lord. We're living in the last days, church. We're living in a time when people said, my father's father said that before they went, went to sleep. But I'm telling you right now, if you'll get a hold of God, God will open some things in your life that you never thought possible. There's some dreams that you've had that you thought were dead. And God, in the middle of the valley, the lowest valley of your life, is going to pick those dreams up and carry them to the mountain. Verse 5. And the devil talked him up into a high mountain. Or taking him up into a high mountain. Showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee. Now listen. And the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. D Jesus didn't dispute any of that. Because he knew that he had all the legal right. Sometimes you got to know what you have. Luke 4, 7. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Who said that? Satan. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Apparently glory, dominion, and power flow from worship. Whether we're worshiping the devil or we're worshiping deity. Did you catch it? Have you ever wondered why sinners seem to prosper? Why you can't hardly pay your bills? It's because they are worshiping the God of this world. And the God of this world, as they prostitute their talent and ability that God gave them, will reward them in gifts. Do you read it again? I'm going to read it in the International Children's Version. The devil said to Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms and all their power and glory. It has all been given to me. And I can give it to you. Or I can give it to anyone I wish, is what the International Children's International says. Who delivered power, dominion, and glory to Satan? Adam. The devil did not understand who Jesus was. Because if he really understood who Jesus was... Listen, the Bible says there's a spiritual truth hidden. In the book, it tells us none of the princes or the archon of this world knew. Had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. When they crucified him, they destroyed themselves. And they fulfilled the timeline of God. <laughs> you don't get it. You don't, you don't, I wish you got it. I do. Pastor quit saying, people say that. Pastor quit saying, I don't get it. You don't get it. Because if you got it, you would worship. You would praise. You would realize that you're not broken. You're not messed up. You're just going through the valley. God, help me when I'm going through the valley. Help me when I can't see you. Help me when I think you don't love me. Because I know that your love is greater. Lord, help me. They had no idea they were killing this lowly Nazarite baby. 
And when they killed him, all hell was going to have to give up the keys. <laughs> oh, you think I'm crazy and I'm glad to be. <laughs> he went into hell when they killed him. Now catch it, catch it, please catch it. This is how worship occurs. He went into hell when they killed him. And the Bible says he took authority, power, rulership, dominion over mankind. Now, revelation is what produces worship. I don't worship because I haven't had a revelation in a long time. I'm doing my best to give you one. When you see the father, it's not just some bless me Jesus club. When you see him walking in the corridors of hell, he's snatching the keys out of it. He says, you have no dominion. You have no power. You have no authority. Do you know why that the world doesn't want you to believe in hell? Watch this. 83% statistic, Barnapole. 83% of people do not believe that there's a hell. Watch this. 57% of Christians do not believe there is a real hell. So if you don't believe that there's a real hell, this is just a Facebook invite club. Because hell has all the authority over you. How, well, how, Pastor? Because I don't believe it exists. Evil can do whatever it wants when you don't believe it exists. Hell can do whatever it wants when you don't believe it exists. I didn't get this from Reader's Digest. I got this from a download from heaven. I didn't get this out of a book. I'm telling you, God wants to work in you. He wants to touch you. And he wants to change you. And so God shows up. Jesus, well, I could see him. We, we, we get so excited about him walking on water. But could you see him walking on the flames of hell? <laughs> yeah, I'm crazy this morning because he's holy and he's righteous. I could just see him cruising across hell and Satan saying, what's up? The Lord of glory's here because he has to bow when God walks in the room. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen, you don't understand. I told him, I said, I feel so bad. I don't know if I can preach today. I just want to get through it. But this is how God works. When you step in the room and God is here, God begins to change the atmosphere of what's going on. He shows up. He penetrates your heart. He'll penetrate the walls. He'll walk on some fire when you can't get out. Pastor, why in the world was the early church so powerful? They worship what he was rather than what he did. See, we worship what he did because we can read it in the book. But what if we worship who he is? <laughs> That's what I'm doing this morning. I'm just here to tell you a couple of things. And I'm just going to worship a little bit while I'm here. <laughs> they could not keep him dead. They could not keep him down. They could not keep him broken. See, Buddha said, I don't know the way at the end of his life. And Allah, he don't know the way either. But Jesus said, come to me. I'm the life. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm your blessing. I'm your salvation. Come to me, all that you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so that's why the Bible says they worshiped him. They didn't praise because praise is not good enough. Praise is about your stuff. 
I praise him because he gave me a car and it's got a quarter tank of gas. Thank you, Jesus. Because not everybody has a car. And definitely some of you don't have a quarter tank. Now watch, are you ready? What you worship determines what you serve. Luke 4, 7 and 8. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shall thou or I serve. Lord, help me. You know, we would have said, Satan, get out of here. You go. My grandma would have said, shoo. Because that's the best we can do. Get out. But he says, get me behind me. Now you watch me. Because he knows you're going to go through valleys. And he knows you're going to go through struggles. And when you meet Satan and you know that there's a God, God comes before him. Jesus is standing in front of him. Listen, he's behind the wall of salvation. He is behind the wall of your problem. He, he has to stand behind Jesus because Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're not good enough. You're not, listen, you're not powerful enough. And Satan has to listen. He has to bow before the throne. So anything that ever follows truth, watch, is error. Get thee behind me, error. Get thee behind me, addiction. Get thee behind me, alcoholism. Get thee behind me, pornography. Get thee behind me, adultery. Oh, I'm speaking deeper than you all, right? Just look, look straight ahead, act like I'm not talking to you. The only thing that ever follows truth is error. And Jesus said, I'm life. <laughs> I'm love. I'm power. And so whatever is behind me must be death. Destruction. Evil. Man, I'm just preaching normal stuff to you. I ain't trying to be deep. But it is good. <laughs> And so what do we do when we allow Jesus between, be between us and death? We promote him. Are you promoting him? Watch this. Get thee behind me, Satan. Every conqueror that defeated a city always carried the conquerees behind him. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's why he rode into Jerusalem. So that he could carry the conquered behind him. <laughs> you still don't get it. You've been in church all your lives and you still don't get it. Luke 4, 8. Pastor, don't tell me I don't get it. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shall thy serve. Be careful what you worship, because it determines what you serve. <laughs> I'm having so much fun today. If you worship Hollywood, you will serve it. If you worship education, you will serve it. If you worship knowledge, you will serve it. If you worship style, scandal, sex, immorality, popularity, you will serve it. 
careful what you worship because what you worship determines what you serve. Man, pastor, that's powerful. I know. I'm thankful God gave it to me. Worship delivers me from pride and it makes me dependent. Well, how does, it, how does worship deliver me from pride? Because my prideful self says, I don't want to lift my hands. My prideful self says, I don't want to say hallelujah. My prideful self wants to keep me pushed down and shackled to my problem. But God said, get thee behind me, Satan. It extends the privilege that I am allowed to worship. You don't have to sit here broken. I'm allowed to praise. <laughs> I'm allowed to praise. Do we got any praisers in the house? Yes. I've seen more praisers today than I've ever seen. You got a couple more minutes? We ain't to the five minute mark yet. You can admit, admire, or adore God. There's three words. To admit means to acknowledge or confess, to consider or grant, to allow or to leave room for, to acknowledge the possibility while accepting the probability. You find people who will admit there is a God, but they won't accept God. There's a difference in admitting God and accepting God. They admit the existence of a supreme being, but they won't accept the right of that being a rule. To admire means to hold it in high regard, to regard in wonder or delight. It means marvel at one's ability to perform or to accomplish great feats. There are people who admire God but who have never adored God. It's like marriage, you know, when you, when you marry someone, sometimes you build this, this admiration for them, but you never adore them. And if you're void of adoration, then you're void of what you need to get in the relationship. And so there's always something missing. In religious relationships, we admit there is a God and we admire some of the stuff that he has done. We admire some of the stuff we read about him in the Bible, but we have never reached that high pinnacle of adoring him. Adoration. It's a love for him. He loved me. Why don't I love him? It's not just a love. It's a deep passion wanting to know more. Now watch, to adore means to love greatly, to honor highly, to idolize, to worship as divine. There's a lot of things that we idolize. There's a lot of things that we worship as divine. You need to ask yourself, what do you do? Do you admit there's a God? Do you admire or do you adore? Psalms 95 has two different parts. Uh, I think in poems they call it stanzas. Is that right? Two different stanzas. Because Psalms is poetry. 
Stanza 1 through 5 and stanza 6 through 11. Let me read just a couple verses. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. The first two verses, the psalmist has an invitation to praise the Lord with your voice. Right? The literal translation of, of the original text reads this. Oh, come and let us shout joyfully unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us go forth to meet him with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise with hymns. Verse 1 through 5. It's an invitation to praise. It's an invitation to extol him. It's an invitation to thank him for the blessing that he gave us. Are you hearing me? It's demonstrative. It's expressive. It's vocal. And he's inviting you. But everything changes at verse 6. Here's the reason why. Let me read it to you. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. The literal translation. This is not, I'm sorry, this is not the King James for you people. I apologize. The original written text in the Hebrew. Oh, come, let us adore him, idolize, love, and applaud with intensity. His being. His actuality. And his acts. It literally says, let us prostrate ourselves. And lay down, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Verse 6. The word rendered worship is in its fullest interpretation. A total prostrate body lying on the ground face down. You done that? Our wonder determines our worship. Worship involves three aspects. It's like a gymnastics. First, prostration or lying down in full length. Second, bending the body from the waist, head and shoulders down. The third posture is kneeling, then lying prostrate with the forehead touching the ground. It's an outward act, an expression of adoration for God's greatness. It's a soul solely that inward understanding of God. I adore you more than anything else in my life. So I'm willing to lay down before you. Worship shows our sin. Consecrated with our purity and our ignorance. It's his his greatness matched with our broken ignorance that allows his omnipresence to flow in the room. Now watch, I'm almost done. If a sinful man will empty himself of himself before the creator who made him and acknowledge his mess up and acknowledge his folly, acknowledge that he doesn't have the ability, acknowledge that he doesn't have the understanding, then God will come with power and change the inward man. 
Worship takes time to magnify. It's just not quick like praise. I, I praise you, Father, for what you've given me. Worship takes time. It takes time in the church. Every false religion has some kinds of truth in it. That's how it gets believers. You understand? That's how it can gain congregants because it has some truth. We have to understand and identify the difference between some truth and real truth. I'm losing you every step I go. The best churches start out pure. But a lot of times what happens is they lose their purity. Every one of us take detours and we lose our purity on our, on our own. We lose the pioneer spirit of the church. There's a thing that I don't know if many people even talk about or, or think about anymore called the Azusa Street Revival. It's what we call our Pentecostal heritage. A large segment of those people were black. They were totally ignorant. And there's a revelation that came to them about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it changed their worship and their worship spilled out into the streets. They didn't know any better. And they worshiped God. They worshiped God so much that when it spilled out into the street, listen to me. Other people got connected to it and got healed. And got delivered. And got changed from a bunch of people that didn't have enough sense to get in out of the rain. And they call it the Azusa Street Revival. They didn't have anything, but they had wonder. They didn't have anything, but they had worship. They didn't have anything, but they had a backbone that said, I'm going to praise God. And they got a revelation about the raw presence of God. Remember that there's no worship without revelation. I have so much more I want to tell you, but I'm going to stop right here. Jared, would you come to the piano? Three areas of worshiping God. And for you church junkies, this will be good. There's three compartments in the tabernacle, the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy. Isn't it amazing how God does everything in three parts? In the tabernacle, there were three areas or three offices, body, soul, and spirit. In the tabernacle, there were three different lights. The outer court had the natural light. I never caught this before. I've read this a million times, but the outer court had the natural light. The inner court had the produced light. The Holy of Holies was filled with the supernatural light and the glory of God. There was no lit candles there. It's progressive on the way in and it's progressive on the way out. Of the three compartments, I, I just want you to get this before you go. The first area was a place of sacrifice. No one could appear before Yahweh empty or empty handed. Do you know Yahweh 
as we say it, is never uttered by the Jewish people because it is a word that is sacred and consecrated to them. Everybody has to come to worship ready to give. In this area, we come to worship and we give George a dollar. It's a poor substitute. The first area that we walk into was a place of sacrifice. It was done with natural light. And it's a good indicator of praise and thanksgiving. Anybody can do that. Anybody can say, thank you, Lord, and not even be saved. In natural areas, that's what we all operate in the natural realm. Everybody can see because of the natural light. They can see when God heals you. They can see when God helps you. They can see when God bless you. They can see when God made a way to praise for you when no one else could praise and you worshiped him. They understand God is righteous. But because everybody can see this natural light, they're not sure that they want to be involved. Then you progress from the place of natural light into a place of sacrifice into the holy place. There's less people there. You're no longer in a place of sacrifice. You're in a place of service because the priest is in the service area. And that's produced light. He lights the candles. He dresses the light. He changes the bread when it needs change. And he offers incense. It's a place of service. It's beyond the place of thanksgiving. Because everybody can walk into the place of thanksgiving. Are you catching it? But you're still moving toward the great and mighty one. Because service is pure in the holy place. Behind the veil, there's no natural light. There's no man-served light and no work. It's all adoration. It's all brawl presence, the Shekinah glory. And when you get there, your problems are not welcome. In the holy place, God will take your problems. In the place of thanksgiving, God will take your problems. But in this place, this place where the veil is this holy place is not reserved for your problems. You can't bring your issues about your unpaid bills because God won't show you glory in trouble. You can't bring your sin because God will not share his glory in with your sin. He'll burn it to the ground. You can't bring your pain because all he accepts is your worship there. That's why most people don't make it in. I talk about Isaiah 6, 2 through 5 a lot, where the angels cry, holy, holy. But that was, it wasn't a praise service. Anytime an angel says holy, that's a worship service. Because he is worshiping what he sees that never changes. And I told you, with each time he says holy, he makes a revolution around the throne. And with every revolution, there's a revelation. And with every revelation, there's worship. I worship you this morning, Lord. Would you stand with me? I praise you this morning. Worship has to do with the 
eternity of God. It has to do with his nature. It's not what he's done, it's who he is. And when you start blessing God for who he is, you're not praising God, you're worshiping God. When you worship God, the pillars in the temple move, the Bible says. The holiness of God shows up and conviction falls. Remember, Isaiah didn't cause conviction. He was convicted because the angels were worshiping when he was there. You see, angels find it easy to worship because they've been exposed to God's revelation. So they just cry, holy, holy, holy. They don't praise him for what he's done. They praise him for who he is. When you magnify God with worship, the sinner gets convicted. When you magnify God with your praise, the sinner begins to praise. You can never get the sinner to worship God. Because when they step into the raw presence of God, they realize they're naked. But if you worship and you praise, you bring this spirit of the power of God down and they want to experience it too. So not always, but a lot of times they're willing to be naked along with you. Praise says I'm broken. Praise says, God, I thank you for what you've given me. But worship says, I don't care if you give me another thing. I'm going to worship you anyway. I'm going to lift you up anyway. Oh, I got to stop. We don't worship very good, church. Our worship gets better in public because we see other people. But if our worship is really going to get better in public, we have to practice in private. What David, what people saw of David was his public worship. How David got the power was his, his honor and dedication to God in private. Thank you for joining us. Please like our podcast and leave us a five-star review. God bless and have an amazing week.